when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with J.P. McNamara on C103. Cork's greatest hits, C103. Good morning, our lines are open 1850-333-103 Bernie takes your comments this morning and you can always text a WhatsApp 0862-103-103 You can email jp at c103.ie or indeed you can tweet us this morning at c103cork Ahead on the show and this is following on from calls on Friday evening and indeed across the weekend we got a number of pictures into us on WhatsApp and Facebook of dumping going ahead and going on over the last few weeks especially the last week it seems after Christmas anyway and the New Year's period on rubbish being dumped inside lanes in ditches on people's land and what's annoying a lot of landowners and farmers is that if the rubbish is found sometimes landowners and indeed farmers can be prosecuted because rubbish is on their actual property. The other thing is along roadsides we got a lot of calls last Friday afternoon. This was from the road from Buttevant towards Ballyhay of rubbish and black plastic bags just basically burst uh, thrown down burst open rubbish uh, flying out from those particular bags and then we got examples from other parts of the county on Facebook another picture from someone who has put their household rubbish as much as they could anyhow into two big shopping bags and placed them outside someone's entrance to their home so that type of thing is annoying people discussing that this morning as more people want fines uh, for those and higher fines for those who are caught doing this or indeed if they do seek out who has dumped the rubbish they want higher fines and higher uh, also penalties for those who have been doing this over the last while it's nothing new it is going on and especially this time of the year as people realise they have more to dump because of Christmas and New Year's they think they can just go along and dump it wherever they want to. So we're going to speak, first of all, with the IFA who want higher fines and more resources to put into those who are caught dumping because a lot of the dumping we have seen over the last few days is on roadsides, on ditches and indeed into fields as well. And from one extreme to the other, a lot of dumping goes on in towns. We know that, but one town is the cleanest town in Ireland from the latest Eyeball Little League survey. That is Fermoy. So well done to Fermoy this morning. I know a gang there from Fermoy are going to Dublin because the award ceremony kicks off there from midday. We'll chat with them when they land in Dublin just after 11 on this morning's show. But a, a lot of uh, excitement this morning and indeed congratulations to all those who in the Fermoy Tuddy Towns 
and other groups in Fermoy who keep the town as clean as they possibly can and that has been recognised this morning in the Eyeballers League survey so we'll speak with them which is a good news story for Fermoy. Also a story which has come to our attention across the weekend and this is another case of animal cruelty. Uh, this time it's from the West Cork Animal Welfare Group. It's somewhere I presume in the West Cork area and the best way to describe this without going into graphic details is a dog which seems to have been left tied up for a very long period of time and the collar it would have looks like anyhow the collar when the dog was trying to break free or, or walk around or do whatever has just rubbed away the fur and the skin around the poor dog's neck and it's just an, an awful just so sad to see that and the, the pictures are so graphic even on Facebook the pictures are up on the uh, West Cork Animal Welfare Facebook but even at that you have to click a button to uncover and see the photos because they're just so extreme and just what actually happened to that particular dog we'll discuss that later uh, with Tory Joyce who will join us from the West Cork Animal Welfare Group uh, just an awful uh, a really sad case of animal cruelty to think that what we presume is someone left the dog tied up or that they even would do something like this to a dog uh, you would wonder why that still goes on in our society with all the warnings and all the stories we've had over 2018 the first few days of 2019 and we're discussing this yet again and wind turbines are an issue for so many in local communities here in the Cork area where many object to them being erected many have health fears and one MEP feels more public consultation needs to happen with wind turbine companies and those uh, asking for planning permission first of all and having public consultation but maybe that consultation needs to change uh, the way we actually do uh, go and speak to communities before wind turbines are erected with that anyhow we'll be speaking to Leonie Rida who's done her own research into this and indeed what happens to a community following the erection of these wind turbines the only thing is we do realise that we do need wind turbines in this country then when it comes to renewable energies and also looking at the whole carbon emissions that we're discussing over the last few days there on the show as well so there is a need for them but it's where they are erected is the other side of things and as we heard over Christmas Japan are to resume commercial hunting of whales for the first time in 30 years we're going to get an Irish view on this. Considering we have so many whale watching companies off our coastline we're going to hear from the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group on Japan's decision to go back and resume commercial hunting for the first time in over 30 years. So that and more to come on the show this morning uh, your comments and calls are welcome 1850 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 086 It's Cork Today for Monday Good morning to you 1850 Lines open you can text or WhatsApp 86 and a few people on to us uh, by text earlier on this morning uh, I don't think this has anything got to do with religion but uh, there is people concerned over the changing of a name of a hospital in Drogheda in County Louth uh, the hospital is well known to many it's called Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in County Louth and uh, over 1,000 people marched through Drogheda it seemed yesterday at protesting against proposals to change the name at the hospital 
uh, which is one of the busiest uh, in the country. It was bought by the HSC from the Medical Missionaries of Mary in the late 90s and it's understood that staff were asked which of the three names it should be called. Uh, they're going to rename it to either the Drogheda University Hospital, the Drogheda Regional Hospital or the Drogheda General Hospital. And the HSC have come out and said this is part of a national plan uh, to move hospitals to an academic model and this has already happened in Letterkenny and indeed in Kerry. We know here on Cork for a number of years, uh, CUH for example is now the Cork University Hospital used to be called the regional years ago, now the Cork University Hospital. So they're doing similar in Drogheda but a lot of people unhappy the fact that it was a hospital set up by the medical missionaries of Mary. Uh, Then again though it was bought from them by the HSC so I suppose the HSC can do what they want. It doesn't seem to be a religious move, it just seems to be uh, one that other hospitals have followed in various parts of the country and they're doing so now in Drogheda but a few on text earlier including Mary unhappy uh, that they are going ahead with this and that they seem to be changing the name. Uh, she feels it's a more identity of Ireland being taken away from our hospital. She goes, first they want the statues taken down, now they want to remove the names of religious such as Our Lady from hospitals in the country. Again, uh, that really wasn't what the HSC came out with. They did buy the particular hospital and now they are looking uh, to change it in line with other hospitals. So I don't think there is a religion aspect to that, but people are upset because it was always known as that and they wanted to be kept at that uh, in their own area of Drogheda that making headlines this morning also headlines is Michael D Higgins he is on his winter holiday hideaway it's been revealed as a four star seafront hotel it mimics a cruise liner himself and his wife Sabina uh, saw in the new year seemingly in the San Agustin Beach Club in Gran Canaria and the reports came from Spain seemingly local uh, papers in Spain picked up on this uh, I don't know this someone's bottom or what but anyway it's been picked up on all the tab- this morning, Michael D enjoying a winter break in the sun in Gran Canaria and a commemoration will take place of course in Bantry tomorrow. We will be discussing this tomorrow on the show and remembering what happened on Woody Island at 40 years ago uh, tomorrow when 51 people died when the oil tanker battle just exploded at the oil terminal in Bantry Bay uh, a lot of the representatives of many of the victims will attend tomorrow's ceremony French visitors of course there will include the wives and the family of the deceased that will take place tomorrow with mass from 11 and also of course a prayer service will be placed uh, in the afternoon and that will go ahead just offshore the jetty there uh, near Woody Island and we'll be discussing uh, Um, with many who were working in the area um, who lost relatives and indeed who just on the night in question when that actually happened you could hear a loud explosion and a bang some would say from all various parts of Cork uh, not only in the Bantry area where they witnessed it first hand but elsewhere as well heard this loud bang and no one knew I suppose what it was Uh, nearly was I think the day later because media would have been different than you would have had uh, news on the television uh, and there wouldn't have been any local or social media in the late 70s wasn't it at the time so uh, we'll discuss that tomorrow on the show anyhow remembering that particular disaster on Whitty Island and more calls and texts coming in this first of all an email from Norma Norma is a resident of the new estate in Goulds Hill near Mallow and she has reported that the dog falling bins at the end of the road near the estate that's on the old Cork Road have not been emptied since long before Christmas and this is not done either she says on a 
regular basis. It's a popular walk for all the townspeople and they use it all the time. But it's emptied irregular and now it's overflowing. Uh, she has been on to the council herself, but they are doing nothing about it. So Norma, what we'll do is we will get on to the council about that to see if they can empty out the uh, dog fouling poo bins, as you say, at the end of the road near that new estate in Goose Hill in Mallow. And speaking of that and speaking of Formoy, of course, being the cleanest town in Ireland, a texter here on WhatsApp saying, uh, can you get on to the council as well and ask them to empty the bank bins in the Beachfield area of Formoy? And also, seemingly over the New Year's period, someone has put a headboard from a bed, I presume, from the Colomona Pike Road. It's in around the wall that is down that particular road. Someone put it there over New Year's. It's been left there since. So even though there is issues of uh, cleaning from oil, there is always uh, spots where uh, by things need still to be done and that too, then we'll pass it on to the council as well. Uh, thank you for your WhatsApp 0862103103. Text the same number or call Bernie 1850 333103. Uh, but a lot of calls to us over the weekend and indeed this morning regarding roadside and indeed ditches and lands that have been filled with rubbish in the last few days. We'll discuss that next. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Local authorities are being urged to tackle the annual increase in littering of the countryside that tends to take place in January, usually after the Christmas New Year's period. Thomas Cooney of the Irish Farmers Association joins me on this issue. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning. And we've got a lot of calls and indeed pictures via WhatsApp of black rubbish bags which have been dumped in ditches and roadsides and land over the last, particularly in the last three to four days. You're calling for more severe sanctions on cereal dumpers and indeed changes to legislation so that farmers are no longer held legally responsible for dumpers who are leaving those black bags which are then torn apart on their land. That's true because we... At the moment, um, landowners are responsible for cleaning up the mess and can be made responsible. And we've got calls from farmers in different counties around the country who had received threatening letters from the local authorities to clean up the mess or else face the possible fine. Um, now, what we do, we, we want to prevent it in the first place from happening. So we what we want is greater enforcement of the current regulations as they are because there is no... There was, increased penalties at the start of the year but that doesn't seem to have delivered because they haven't been enforced um, we need more CCTV we need more mobile patrols on the ground you know to catch these people in the act you know coupled with the CCTV because it has it has been shown that if there is CCTV on a road the incidence does does drop um, so we need a combination of all three plus we need possibly an educational um, process as well, you know, maybe on uh, through social media, local radio, national radios, um, um, television, a combination of, of everything, making people aware of the potential fines that they could take and, and, uh, and the damage that they're doing to the, to the countryside, to our tourism industry, to our environment. You know, because nobody nobody wants to, to look at rubbish dumped along the side of the road or dumped into fields. And, and most certainly farmers don't want to have to be cleaning up the mess as well. Or any landowners, they don't necessarily have to be farmers, business owners. 
Yeah, it's so unsightly to see that and it's the last thing you need for visitors coming to a county as well. And the point you make there, I think education is key, but we have brought some of those points before to local authorities and they say they only have a number of staff that are dealing in that particular area. They don't have the resources, the finance to deploy people to deal with rubbish dumping. So have you heard that as well over the years from authorities? That is is correct. Those resources were depleted during the recession. And that's why we're calling, we, we met Minister Kenny before Christmas, Minister Sean Kenny, who has responsibility for waste. We're also meeting the Environment Minister, Minister uh, Richard Bruton, in the coming weeks. And we, this will be top of our agenda with him to put more resources in place so that there can be more people uh, um, put, put on, on patrol to, to prevent this, more money for CCTV. If the CCTV is, is put up by various um, different groups, you know, let it be community groups or whatever, that the data can be shared and that, that there can be service level agreements drawn up between local authorities and whoever owns the cameras, that that, that data can be shared properly within GDPR regulations. And, and that, that's that's another area that needs to, to, to be tackled as well. But the main one is that the minister puts the resources in place, that he, that he puts the amount of money in place so the people can be employed that he changes the regulation to remove the responsibility of the landowner, where the landowner has no hand out or part in, in dumping the, the litter or the rubbish on, on, on the property. Do you and, find that uh, strange, by the way, that a landowner or indeed a farmer or whoever who, who does own their land, be whatever business they're in, if a rubbish a plastic bag, for example, a black plastic bag appears in the field, it's ripped open by crows or whatever, rubbish falls out around it, that they are the ones who are prosecuted because it's obvious if you did own a patch of land, you're not going to dump it yourself. Yeah, well, it's, it's grossly unfair. That's what it is. You know, like, it, it, it is not fair. And, and landowners are, and the majority of farmers do do go off and end up just picking up the bag. You know, like, that's, that's what does end up happening. They have to pay to get rid of it then. You know, like, so... That responsibility has to, but what we need to do is probably prevent it from happening in the first place. What it does happen, remove the responsibility of the landowner. And, and that's what we're going to be pushing this hard with Richard Bruton when we do meet him now in the coming weeks. That, among other, other, other things that we will be on the agenda for. Yeah, do we need to look also at what is being dumped? We've had a lot of discussion over 2018 of plastics and a lot of supermarkets have got rid of plastics for a veg and fruit and that type of thing. Do we need to look at the various packaging that supermarkets mm. have and could that and, reduce and, and the level of dumping? Not, it's not all. There's a 33% increase in online sales this year, online shopping this year. And there's, that's, there's about 10,000 tonnes of, of packaging coming from online sales, which is obviously has to be packed better than, than if you do buy it in the shop. And that that's contributing to it as well. So if people are making a saving on the online sales, they would need to put some of that money aside for to, to dispose of it properly. Now, a lot of the stuff can be disposed of free of charge. Cardboard bottles, cans, beer bottles, any kind of bottles, all that sort of stuff is turning up as well. And, and there is various local authorities who have things like mattress recycling days and, and various other things. We need more civic amenity sites on the peripheries of towns as well, you know, and, and make them visible and educate people that they are there, that this stuff can be disposed of, of free of charge, you know, and, and that green waste, you know, food waste, all that can go in your green bin. So there is a, a lot of that stuff can be disposed of free of charge, you know, with, without having to incur a cost. So the education... A combination of education, enforcement and the legislative change is, is what we in IFA will be looking for to try and, and prevent this from and try and, and 
stop us basically Yeah and I know you mentioned legislation there and one thing you did mention earlier on was CCTV uh, Amanda asking about that because with the new laws coming in now she said what if you do catch someone on CCTV dumping there's so many new laws now she's aware of a fellow uh, neighbour of hers who had to change the angle of their camera because it was facing onto a roadside and someone complained that they might be picking up various cars of people walking and it would be against their data protection so is that being looked in would that be something you'd be going to local authorities within the government regarding the updated data protection for CCTV so people can be caught and if it did go to court they can't be accusing the landowner of the homeowner even of well, having somebody, a camera on somebody, them illegally Well if somebody is caught on camera dumping rubbish there should be no reason that they should be, they should get out of it uh, mm. some loophole on the GDPR that's, that's um, we think where somebody is caught in the act if they're on camera as, as breaking the law we don't. We think that, that that evidence should be should be able to be used, and and that local authorities should should ensure that whatever service level agreements or whatever agreements are put in place with the minister, that that that, that evidence can be used to convict those people. Yeah, that and, they can't get out of it. Yeah, that they can't get out of it, and those type of serial dumpers need to be made an example of, and and do need to face hefty fines for where they do dump stuff in on, on somebody else's property. And you would hope the higher fines would actually deter people, because over the years the fines have gone up, but it's still happening. The fines have gone up, but the, we haven't had enough of convictions is the problem. And it is a resource issue on, on for local authorities. So if they had more resources, if they had more people, more staff, more more cameras, more everything, they would be able, I'm sure they would be able to get, get convictions. And if there was a, a, a number of people convicted, it, it definitely would be a deterrent to other people to do it. That coupled with an educational campaign as well. Okay, as we're on the issue there, and you are from the IFA, Jane has texted in and she's agreed with you on the issue of people dumping rubbish on farmers' lands. She could say, yeah, it's totally wrong because you can get a contract with a recycling company or a refuse company for €300 a year or so, which isn't that bad. But she's just on about farmers about dumping themselves. She says, she feels anyway, Jane, that farmers aren't the most environmental group. How many farmers have been contracts? How many farmers do you see with bins outside of their homes of collection days. Jane feels numb. She knows a lot of farmers who burn their own waste. So she says, can farmers come on pleading with people to have bin contracts when they don't? I mean, how would you respond to Jane on her view there regarding farmers and the way that some, not all, but some, she feels, deal with the rubbish? There will be very few farmers, because it is illegal to burn waste and, and farmers, there's up to 5% of farmers are getting full cross compliance inspections annually and they can be unannounced. So if if, if, if a Department of Agriculture inspector sees evidence of, of rubbish being burned, you will get a penalty on your single farm payment. So I would feel that there is probably very little farmers burning waste. Some of them may may bring it to the local civic community site. That's maybe why they not have a because they have tractors, they have jeeps, they have trailers, and it may be cheaper to bring it than have a wheelie bin outside. And that's that's personally what I do. I do bring it in from Cavan. I do bring my stuff in in the jeep and trailer to the local civic community site. My plastic waste uh, on regards the silage covers and bale wraps plastic. We IFFPG has a seventy-five percent recycling rate of all the silage plastic that was that is purchased in the Republic of Ireland, which is a way higher than milk cartons, electrical goods. All of those are around twenty-five, thirty percent. There's seven. There's twenty-seven thousand ton of farm plastic recycled annually each year. We have our hazardous waste collections. We do have we do have various other uh, um, meal bags all that sort of stuff that can be collected through IFSPG as well or net and twined you know there is 
there is uh, there does be bring centres at at various marts and everything uh, or throughout the year plus on farm collection of farm plastic and and, and chemical drums all that sort of stuff is and that's where a, a lot of the farm waste is is disposed of. Okay, well, there is a, a review on anti-dumping uh, this year, so hopefully a lot of the issues you raise will be tackled with that for the moment. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll see what will happen over 2019 with regards uh, to dumping. That is Thomas Cooney there uh, from the Irish Farmers Association. Uh, do you agree more education? And we do need to deploy people into dealing with just alone roadside dumping and indeed dumping in, in ditches, in people's gardens and land, whatever, uh, or wherever people are dumping their rubbish uh, that we just do need to deploy people and invest in that particular area of our local authority. Uh, your views are welcome on that 1850 333 103 or indeed text of WhatsApp 086-2103-103 Danny McCroom says I came across about five or six bags of rubbish on the Killarney Road outside McCroom near the amenity site or close to it anyhow on both sides of the road yesterday. Just shameful says Danny in McCroom while Deirdre in Bandon says you mentioned about the lady who had rubbish dumped outside her home uh, near where I live in our estate just down the road at the entrance of the estate someone left two big bags two big shopping bags uh, with household rubbish dumped in them a lot of it was plastic a lot of it was cardboard from Christmas presents that they obviously received over Christmas there was no evidence in the bag uh, of where it came from and the majority of items could have been recycled which is so frustrating as uh, Deirdre feels that Irish people in general are good at recycling uh, Deirdre in Bandon thank you for your text 86 and again a lot of people across the weekend did see the amount of dumping and rubbish on that road from Ballyhay to Buttervent now I haven't been on that road uh, since the weekend and I'm not too sure if that rubbish has been cleared up or not so maybe someone that commutes a lot on that particular stretch of road from Butterfield to Ballyhay. We got numerous calls Friday afternoon and indeed on Saturday as well uh, of rubbish thrown on that particular stretch of road. Black plastic bags torn open and also we got reports of what looked like presses Oh, I don't know if these are the ones you make up yourself you know the ones you can get and you can put together yourself or what but they were uh, thrown down on the roadside also so if you are in that general area let us know maybe that rubbish now has been cleaned up because we did highlight it uh, slightly uh, towards the end of our show on Friday but if you were in the area let us know if that particular a stream of rubbish, it seems, has been cleared up uh, between Buttervent and Belly Hay. Uh, you can do that by text or WhatsApp 086 103 A lot of calls and comments coming in with regards to rubbish. We'll get back to those shortly. Also, I want to go back to the issue of animal cruelty. This is the case from West Cork, this poor dog, uh, which basically his neck was more or less totally destroyed and I'll get to that story later in the show Uh, but Heidi on text saying here we go again what in God's name is so wrong with people that they do these horrific outrageous things to defenceless animals may that person if it was done by them never have a moment's peace uh, says Heidi on WhatsApp to 0862103103 we'll deal with that issue shortly in the programme as well on the way next though just interesting to get the view of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group on Japan who are set to resume commercial hunting of whales for the first time in 30 years. We have a lot of whale watch companies here off the Cork Coast. We're going to get the view of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group on that issue next. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. On the issue mentioned a while ago on amenity sites, Joanne Cantor says a lot of those amenity sites, civic amenity sites, that is, they're closed more than they are open. No wonder people are dumping their rubbish. A lot more calls on rubbish. We'll get to that in a while. Uh, but over the last few weeks, you would have seen in the news that Japan are to resume commercial hunting of whales for the first time in 30 years. So with so many whale watching that goes on off our own coastline here I wonder how do Irish organisations feel one of those is the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group and Simon Burrow joins me from them this morning Good morning to you Simon Good morning John A lot of reports over the last few weeks on this first of all Japan have hunted whales for centuries we're aware of that but now it seems they've left the International Whaling Commission and this commission it seems in the 80s brought in a commercial moratorium and this was due to the dwindling whale population? Yes, uh, the International Whale Commission was set up in 1946, so it's been around a long time, and it was in response to, as you said, declining whale stock, especially in the Antarctic. And um, it's been very successful in the sense that um, it's brought in a moratorium for commercial whaling. Some whale populations have increased. Some whale populations have increased possibly to levels higher than when they were exploited. Um, so it's been a success. I think the issue with Japan, obviously, there's a there's a there's a great disconnect between the philosophy in some countries. Uh, some countries, um, which are probably the minor- majority now in the International Whaling Commission, are opposed to whaling in any shape or form, and that's not really what the Whaling Commission was set up for. So countries like Japan, Norway, and Iceland, <clears throat> who still hunt commercially to sell and make profit. Um, although they're members of the the, the whaling committee, the whaling commission, they, they oppose the that philosophy. They think whaling is an acceptable um, activity. So this has been going a long, long time. And I suppose over the last ten or twenty years, the whaling commission has become more of a conservation group than a whale whaling management organisation, which is what it was set up to do. So this kind of antagonism between the pro and the anti-whaling countries has been going on for a long, long time, John. And uh, in Japan, you know, have respected and tried to respect the commission and world opinion um, and have not really, I don't personally don't think they've been given a fair crack of the whip. So they're saying now we're leaving because it's no longer, it's no longer doing what it was set up to do. So we're leaving. Yeah, because Japan have come back to them and they have researched this themselves and they're saying that whaling stocks have now returned to what they were in their region. And of course, in Japan, they do eat whale. If you go there, you will see it on the menus. Yeah, yeah. And some whale stocks have increased. Uh, the ones they've been targeting are minke whales in the Antarctic and conservative estimates could be up to a million whales, a million minke whales in the Antarctic. <clears throat> and some think that the population of minke whales has increased way beyond that, what, what it was historically because we've removed things like fin whales and blue whales especially, which would have competed with minke whales for food. So you've kind of released more food for minke whales, their population has increased. Um, and no one can argue, <clears throat> none of the scientists on the scientific committee of the International Whaling Commission can argue that removing, I think their late, latest quote was from like 333 whales, Removing 333 minke whales from the Antarctic minke whale population is not going to have an impact on the population. It is sustainable. And yet they're not allowed, they won't be given that quota to do. So they've been, they've been whaling under the guise of, of um, uh, research for a long, long time, which we all know is just a fop for continuing with commercial whaling and selling the product on the market in Japan. 
I suppose enough is enough, John. They've said, look, you know, no matter how much we do, no matter how much we say, you won't set us a quota, even though everyone agrees it's sustainable. This is what the Whaling Commission is set up to do, so we're leaving, because you're no longer now fulfilling the, the objectives you were set up to do. And this is a monumental failure for the um, for management and also a monumental failure for the environmental groups, to be honest, worldwide, because with Japan leaving the International Whaling Commission, they then, uh, they're then constrained to fish within Japanese waters, 200 miles from the Japanese coast. And the species they and the populations they will hunt there are actually under much more pressure, um, and some are quite endangered, than the minke whales they would have hunted in the Antarctic. Yeah, and a quota would have been the solution, you would have thought, to keep them within the group. Is the commission now, would you say, could it be in trouble? I mean, what's the future for this commission if countries like Japan are going to leave? And it seems to be changing what it was set up from, if it's more or less looking at the environmental side of things and indeed looking at the moratorium brought in for Wales and not respecting each country. What's the future for this particular commission? Yeah, I think there is a um, working group uh, that's been set up to review the Whaling Commission, its role and its future. And that's a good thing because it does brilliant stuff. It has lots of... um committees that look at things like whale watching, they look at uh, ecosystem management, they look at um, uh, pollutants, they look at small cetaceans, and they do fantastic review. I mean, you know, some, most of the top kind of uh, marine mammal biologists are involved in the Whaling Commission in some shape or form. And, you know, and it represents, what is it, 80 or 90 countries um, with, a, with interest in marine mammal conservation. So it's a good thing, but it definitely has, its remit has changed. So if it does Re, 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 you know, redefine what its ambitions are, and whale managing whaling is not one of them. Then countries that want to whale, and you've also got ab- Aboriginal cultures in the Caribbean and in, in the Arctic that hunt whales for, to sustain themselves, you know, uh, on a small scale, and they're they're given a quota. What? Where do they go? How do they manage? Um, their activities. So it, it is a disaster. Now, we, we, we held the International Whaling Commission in 1995. I have to tell you, John, I don't go to them. I found it a horrible experience. We hosted it in Dublin, and we were the, the Irish Whaling Dolphin were the uh, NGO in the country, so we had certain obligations that we were expected to fulfil on, on behalf of the NGO community. But the vitriolic hatred, the disrespect, the, the uh, uh, unbelievable levels of animosity from the environmental groups towards the Japanese and the Icelandics and Norwegians because they eat whales. <clears throat> they were seen as subhuman. They were seen as uh, horrible people. You should make eye contact with them, all this kind of stuff. This was like 20, 30 years ago. So we, I went to it, and I must admit, I'd never want to go to a whaling commission again, you know. So if that is, if that is the reflects how uh, the Japanese are being treated and disrespected, it is cultural imperialism. And you're not going to get... Uh, uh, an, an agreement. You're not going to find compromise if you think they are, uh, you know, they're, they're subhuman beings and they shouldn't be allowed to live on this planet. And that was the that was the message from the environmental groups. <clears throat> so I'm not surprised at all. <clears throat> excuse me, the Japanese have left, and I, I, I'm surprised they haven't gone earlier. And it's a really big deal for Japanese to leave these international conventions because they care about world opinion. The Icelandics and Norwegians don't really care. They're much stronger in terms of their own, I suppose, their own belief. We were in Iceland this summer. We sailed up on, on Celtic Mist. And we, obviously, the whaling is a big thing up there as well. So it's very interesting to see different communities' perspectives. So um, when, you, when you have no regard and disrespect people and don't care what they say or what they do, we're going to oppose them anyway, why would you bother being in that club? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and not respecting the cultures of various countries and kind of pushing down your own agenda on them as how they would feel. And Iceland themselves, uh, how, how do they view all of this? Or as you say, that they don't even care, I presume, do they? 
I don't know. I don't know how they respond to the Japanese decision, but um, they went back to whaling on fin whales this year after a moratorium of maybe three or four years, self-imposed. And the main reason was they couldn't export it. They kill fin whales to export to Japan to sell to Japanese. Uh, it's purely commercial, and it's it's a loss-making activity, as is Japanese whaling. And one of the one of the implications of this actually is it'll probably end whaling quite quicker than if they stayed in the International Whaling Commission. Ironically, because it was heavily subsidised by the state. Because the market isn't huge, there aren't that many people eating whale meat, and it's a very expensive activity, especially if you're sailing all the way down to the Antarctic. So if the Japanese government pull out their subsidies and it's purely based on the market and commerciality, then it probably isn't viable. And, um, you know, it'll probably die anyway. Um, in Iceland, there's a, <coughs> uh, um, a very wealthy fishing um, company whose father set up the whaling industry, so he has a personal interest in it. He subsidizes it, and he loses millions on that activity. So it's not about money. It's not about profit. It's actually, it's ingrained deeper than that. And I find the more you tell people, to, it's human nature, John. If, you kept, if I kept saying, John, stop doing that, stop doing, stop doing that, you'd, you'd probably do it out of spite, even if you didn't want to do it, just because you keep being told not to do it. So if you want to build relationships, if you want to try and find a common uh, ground, if you want to find a compromise, because everybody has a different perspective on things, especially these, uh, these, these coastal communities like Iceland and the pharaohs who can't grow potatoes, who don't, you know, have um, uh, tomatoes growing in polyton, you know what I mean? They have to take what's local resource. Then if you don't find a compromise and respect and engage with these people, you'll, you'll never make any progress. And that's kind of what's happened with the Whaling Commission. And it's like to happen with other conventions, you know, especially with the rise of kind of right... It's, it's cultural imperialism. It's us wealthy people in the West where we go down to our Aldis and our, and our Tesco's telling the other people what to do. And it doesn't cut it anymore. It doesn't cut it. And here in Ireland, away from eating whales, uh, across the coastline, especially here in Cork over the last two to three or four years, we've seen a huge increase in companies offering people and tourists the chance to go out and look at whales off our coastline. That has just grown over the last three or four years. So whereas what's happening in Japan is totally different, we've seen a different aspect here. It's a growing industry, a growing tourism industry really here in Ireland at the moment, isn't it? It is, you know, but we used to whale. We had whaling stations in County Mayo. There's a report in 1936 of whales driven in Wexford and killed and eaten. So it's not that long ago. And whale watching is a big thing in Japan. So I think a lot of these, uh, you know, as you said, how do we exploit a whale? We can kill it and eat it. We can whale watch and we can make money that way. And it's an interesting area you pick up upon, John, because, you know, we, we, the, the whale watching potential in Ireland is huge. The whale watching industry has kind of developed very slowly, really, and quite locally. We've not great kind of support. Uh, I think it could do a lot more. But we have to start bringing in some management. We need to say, well, look, how are we going to manage, manage our fish stocks? The minister just before Christmas um, announced a ban on trawling inside the six nautical mile zone for the big boats, which is a good thing because um, fish such as sprat, which are economically not very worth, worth very much, but ecologically are really important. They're the kind of they're the, the, the foot of all the food chains from whales to seals to seabirds and to other commercial species such as cod. You know, they need to be protected. We have no management for them. So, you know, we have our own management issues. So it's easy to kind of criticize the Japanese world. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. Well, let's look a bit closer to home. Let's look at how we manage our marine resources. Let's see how we engage with coastal communities. Let's decide how we want to use our marine resources for the benefit of the country. You know, and that's, I think, where we're going. And it's, it's a good move forward with the with the um the uh, discussion about uh, trawling and sprat and all the rest of it so it's great potential uh it's sustainable 
it's worth more actually to coastal communities if you go whale watching than fishing in many ways. Um, so long may, may continue, and, and for sure, you know, cork. At the minute, the whales are off Wexford, Waterford. If, I, if you wanted to go and see whales tomorrow, John, I'd take you to, to, to Wexford, Waterford. That's where they are. But they'll be back in West Cork in a couple of months' time, um, and in increasing numbers. So, um, but, you know, things change, don't they? There's a shift from eating whales maybe to admiring them. We're still exploiting them, and there's still issues about going out in a boat and seeing whales because you can disturb them, you can impact on their ability to feed, communicate, mm. blah, blah, blah. But these are different management issues. So, um, yeah. We'll see what happens. As you say, it is growing anyhow here in Ireland at the moment and I'm sure it will be the same this summer for the moment. Uh, Simon, thank you for joining us this morning on that good insight to see what actually is happening there within the industry. Uh, that is Simon Burrow there from the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. Here, Our lines are open. Your comments are welcome. 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. A lot of calls and comments in regarding what we spoke to earlier on the show and this is to do with rubbish being dumped, especially in the last three to four days in various areas of Cork a lot of calls from Bushman to Belly Hey, that road on Friday afternoon not too sure if that's been cleared up or not as yet but Anne-Marie says that, that she totally agrees uh, with who we spoke to that was Thomas Cooney from the NFA earlier regarding rubbish being dumped it's disgusting Anne-Marie was down home in County Waterford last week and the roads were just dirty. She says, I'm Irish, so for the tourists it must be disgusting to see this. She's asking people to take responsibility and clean our own road frontage, be that of a house or land, and let's keep our lovely island as beautiful as possible. Get out there and clean up, says Anne-Marie on text. While Frank and Bandon says in the graveyard in Bandon uh, there is a skip and the skip is full of household rubbish. It has been provided to throw away flowers and wreaths from the graves but people are coming from far and wide to dump their domestic waste and now the bin is overflowing with household waste and that's a pity because obviously there's a skip in a graveyard and you can see flowers, dead flowers or wreaths thrown in that. You know the skip is for that particular reason and it's for those who visit their loved ones in the graveyard. Awful to think then uh, that you have people who are coming in and dumping rubbish in First of all, a graveyard, but then in a skip in the graveyard. That's not bad. I mean, of all places to start dumping rubbish at graveyards. Uh, that's happening in Bandon. Thank you, Frank, for that. And Marie is in Wheeling. She says there is a nas- national spring clean every year. And if every property owner was responsible for their own area, it would help a lot. Each house or landowner has a bit of road frontage. She also says the spring clean needs to be better publicised. A lot of people don't know about this particular spring clean, says Anne Marie. Regarding the IFA, who we spoke to, uh, a lot of people asking, can the IFA get waste, silage and tyres collected at plastic recycling bring centres at Marts etc more of those while a listener in Mitchellstown says is it fair to see people dumping household rubbish in Aldi, Lidl and Tesco bins when the rest of us have to pay and another caller as well uh, similar to that says unfair when I see people that I know because I have seen them do this caught in the act late at night in my local town stuffing in their household rubbish into public bins. Not fair. I know bins and maybe refuse and recycling collection can be expensive for some, but we all try and save 
and I'm, I'm saving every month for various items to do with school or to do with paying my various bills but I still pay them I don't think it's right for people to start dumping their rubbish in public bins just to avoid paying refuse or recycling uh, and that was something that they did say would happen a lot of people said when they started privatising all the bin companies and the prices slowly went up that they would indeed have the situation of people dumping rubbish and now we can see it is happening even though this has been happening for years and years despite any changes with regards to refuse collections but uh, we are seeing more and more people dumping household rubbish into bins. One thing I have noticed because I've noticed in various towns over the years of the bins that would have been frequently let's say full with household rubbish uh, those bins have been removed have been replaced again they, they were missing for maybe two or three weeks they have been replaced though by smaller thin slim line bins and you find it hard now to stuff rubbish in because the little hole you put the rubbish into is small so really it only can fit let's say a coffee cup and that type of thing so it isn't big enough to start shoving in household rubbish anyhow if that's something I've noticed over the last few weeks and few a year especially anyhow maybe you have too and maybe it's the council's way of dealing with those who do go along and they know are dumping household rubbish into bins anyhow here our lines are open on that calls and comments welcome you can call Bernie 1850 333 103 text or WhatsApp 0862103103 now speaking of rubbish and everything good news though for Fermoy cleanest town in Ireland this year and well 2018 anyhow cleanest town in Ireland that comes from the Anti-Litter League results they have just been published this morning and they show good news for Fermoy and the gang from Fermoy were making their way from there to Dublin because there is an award ceremony later just after midday I'm told they have just landed and uh, Councillor Noel O'Connor and sorry Councillor Noel McCarthy uh, one of those who is involved uh, with those in Fermoy and has been doing work with many others over the last few years to keep uh, Fermoy clean and Noel joins me now good morning to you Noel morning John Paul morning so you've just landed into Houston and uh, great news and well done to all there in Fermoy when did you find out that you have become the top town in Ireland and the cleanest town in Ireland and cleaner than European norms well, only during the week we got an invitation to attend the ceremony, which is on at 12 o'clock in Boston's Hotel, and we're on our way there, we're in the taxi, on the way there as we speak, nine of us in the taxi, in the bus, and we got the, uh, the news this morning that we are officially announced to clean this town, so we were thrilled, it was a very proud day for everybody in Vermont, for all the people in Vermont. Now, a lot very of work has been put into this over the last while. We have been dealing with various black spots in Vermont, and I know the Tony Towns Group have been dealing to clear those particular black spots, and yourself have highlighted various areas over the last few years do you think with the publicising of these black spots and indeed more in the community getting involved uh, that this is how from why it's got to this level yeah without a doubt John Paul I think this all started really we, we, about four years ago we met up as a town cooperation meeting to include everybody that would be involved in uh, keeping from my clean it would be a tight town group the local authority uh, the Department of Social Protection with force workers the uh, Avenue Blackwater with tourists and, and the business community in Formoy and everyone that would could do to keep them did everything to keep them all clean and this is a lot of hard work over a number of years and today is the reward of it and it's, it's great credit due to everyone and I think the secret of it was, was teamwork and working together Yeah, That's all the community got together you had businesses got together you had uh, the different groups in the town got together different organisations and it has paid off as you say uh, the ceremony today is underway at midday what happens at that? Do you have a fair indication what goes on? Well, midday, we, the ceremony starts and, and, and they officially give us the 
recognise us for our, for winning the competition, and we'll um, we'll we'll, we'll be delighted that, that there'll be, a, I think, the first, second, and third will be announced at the award. And we know already, you know, we're getting the the, the, the prize, so we're delighted with it, Jack Paul. Absolutely delighted with it. And it's going to be hard so, now, Noel, to keep the standards up, do you think, for the next year? Or will this spur people in from Moy to make sure you remain on top of the list for next year? Yes, it, without a doubt. It makes us even more determined to, to keep the good work that we've done ongoing. And we're, we're determined to do that, John Paul. We, we, as I said, we set our sights on winning this competition. We did it. And now we're obviously looking at the bigger prize with Tiger Towers himself, which we're looking forward to doing as well. And everyone, again, the teamwork has paid off. And we're hoping that this will continue and we'll drive on from there. And that's the most important. But, John Paul, can I just, just say one thing? It's, it's everybody in Fumai has brought us to this success today. A lot of people and volunteers that give their time unselfishly to do this. We know some people go there four to five nights a week to keep from my tidy, and they're the real heroes of this. The real heroes. Well, I can hear the gang there, Noel, making sure yeah, they're getting sure. out the taxi and making your way to Buzzwell. So we'll leave you off there. Uh, congratulations again, Noel, to you and all the gang there. Well done to Fermoy. Great achievement, and enjoy the celebrations today there in Dublin. Thank you very much, John Paul. And again, thank you everyone for all their help and cooperation. Very thank good. You. And uh, Councillor Noel McCarthy there, live from Dublin, just uh, pulling up uh, to Boswell's Hotel, which is very near government buildings, of course, as well. And they will be uh, celebrating across the day. So if you're from the Fermoy area or living there, well done to you. Fermoy, uh, one of the cleanest towns in Ireland and overall cleaner than European norms. So well done to all in Fermoy. C103 Jobs. And on today's Jump Spot, opportunities for a child minder required for two children, five days per week in the Dunmanway area. Uh, get in contact with Anya on 086-326-0209. A block layer is wanted for an immediate start in the North Cork area. Contact 085-8361241 for details. And part-time customer care reps are required for the Clonakilty area. A previous experience is preferred. Send your CV to careers at capital... That should be Capita Customer Solutions dot IE. So careers at Capita Customer Solutions dot IE. You'll find these details and more online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs. And on the way, are you living in a community in Cork where a wind turbine application has gone in? Maybe there has been a public consultation process in your area. We're going to speak to one Ireland South MEP who feels that more public consultation needs to happen with these turbine companies so that everybody in the community knows in advance what is going to take place in their area. Discussing that next. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now we often hear from many community groups who are against the erection of wind turbines in their area. Now there's a number of these in the Cork area which are in place to create sustainable energy and provide another form of electricity to the national grid. But one MEP feels we do need to look at where we place these particular turbines. And one of those is MEPs for Ireland South, Leonie Rita of Sinn Féin and she joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Leah. 
time in Vatu. And thank you for joining us. Happy New Year to you as well. And the same to you. Uh, now, we have received calls over the last number of years and I suppose there has been wind turbines erected in certain areas of Cork and people adapted to those. But more and more now we have communities who were against the erection of wind turbines. Majority feel that they haven't been consulted properly. When an ad goes somewhere for a public consultation, not many know about it. Would you agree that we do need to look at the consultation period for locals in various areas? I would entirely and I think that's actually crucial and key to the whole thing because look, everybody is in favour I think of uh, renewable energies, there's no question about that. But the fact is Ireland, um, you know, we are one of the worst countries in terms of proper regulation for the wind farm companies and at the same time we have the best wind and wave power. So it makes sense that we have a national strategy to look at how we erect these wind turbines and where they go. I mean, if you look at other countries, for instance, in Belgium, uh, and they produce and they generate a comparable amount of wind energy as well, but half of it is generated from offshore wind farms. So there's no reason why we shouldn't be looking at that in this country, because, look, I have met people all over Cork and all over Kerry as well in particular, and the wind turbines are getting taller and closer to their homes. And really, like the World Health Organization has stated, that it is a health hazard, particularly if you suffer from autism or epilepsy. I met a particular lady and she had eight turbines surrounding her house. And it's, there's a flicker shadow called, it's called a shadow. Every three seconds, it's flickering on and off all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Sure, that would drive you off your mind. So really, it's about best practice and it's about common sense. Because a lot of these communities as well, what happens then is they have to come together and try and get money and raise money to bring the wind developers to try and get an injunction against them. And it's impossible for them to be raising, you know, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of euros that communities are struggling already, not to mind having to foot the bill to try and put a halt to some of these uh, wind farms that are going up right in their backyard. Yeah, and you mentioned that the flicker, I mean, that must be very uh, frustrating for someone who is in your home. I presume the flicker is coming from the blade of the turbine going around and it's blocking the light and that will happen every three to four seconds. Is that what that flicker is? That is it. Uh, And actually, I have a good example of that up on my website because I couldn't on the Facebook page because I couldn't believe how bad it is until you actually see it yourself. And did you see, hear noise? A lot of people we've spoken to in the past who were against these turbines say that they hear noise or some kind of buzzing that drives them insane and that goes on for 24-7 or it can come and go at various stages. Were you aware of that when you yes, visited I that am. person? Yes, I am. And it does come and go. And the problem is then, I believe that one community actually managed to bring the developer to court and or and the court then agreed with it and they had to put a device on the wind turbine to reduce the noise levels. But what happened then was extraordinary because they sold on the wind turbines to a different um, company and they were not, then they had to start the whole process again of trying to get to get the new developer to maintain the noise levels to keep it low. So it just seems to be completely, as I said, unregulated and we are the worst in the EU in terms of regulation for wind farms. So it really needs that national strategy and we did have a bill in Sinn Féin last year in front of the Oireachtas with a whole you know, range of suggestions like that, but unfortunately it wasn't voted uh, in favour of by the other parties. But look, we do need that coherent national strategy because this is something that's been on ongoing. Even in 2014, I remember it was a huge issue during the European elections. It hasn't gone away. And there are more and more of them coming up. I know the Lee Valley, for instance, is going to be surrounded by wind turbines. And like I said, nobody's against renewable energies. We're definitely in favour of it. We need to do something about our climate change problems and carbon footprints and all of that. But surely be to God, looking at offshore wind farms would be the way to go and not in people's backyards.
Yeah, because how do they deter where they actually put them? We've had protest groups in recent months from various parts of East Cork and West Waterford join us discussing their fears. You mentioned earlier turbines getting taller. That was one of their fears and they gave an example of that. And then we've heard from Bally Desmond and the Slieve-Rukla areas of, uh, you could say, North Cork into Duhallow, into East Kerry. Uh, those particular areas who, again, are fighting turbines going up in their area. I mean, how do you predict where to put and where not to put them? Because you say we do need to go and look at renewable energy and a lot of those areas are of high ground and they're perfect conditions for wind farms and, and wind turbines so uh, how do we get the best of both worlds if, if we do have to go down the route of providing more renewable energy in this country especially with carbon and everything we in the last few weeks we, we've been discussing about Well certainly I think if we start looking at offshore uh, which therefore would take away the need for it to be in communities and because obviously you're generating it from wave power as well there, that mm. for me would make perfect sense because as you mentioned, Sleeve Lower there, 12 giant wind turbines are going to be erected there. And the other thing that I find extraordinary, and this is where is the EPA, because look, there are, there are EU directives there and they do expect countries and member states to be vigilant in terms of protecting our habitats and biodiversity, for instance. But I'm not sure what the EPA, why they haven't objected, for instance, the particular one in Schlieve-Lohr. And I know this has been an, an issue in Cork as well, huh. where there's um, the pearl oyster is there, there's hen harriers there, they're protected biodiversity and species there, and yet the EPA doesn't seem to be objecting to it. So you would imagine from a planning perspective that there has to be an overall look at what is there. You know, is it going against the Habitats Directive? Is it going against any of those directives that are there to safeguard our environment? Because... The irony of it, we're, we're putting up wind turbines to try and, you know, assist with our environmental crisis that we're going through. And at the same time, it's at the expense of other species, not to mention, of course, the human health hazard that it does have. I mean, I met a couple who are living in a basement of their house and they can't sell their houses as well. That's the other thing. It devalues the house. Their son is on sleeping tablets. You know, that's completely unacceptable. And so why? They can't sleep at night because of the wind turbine? Because of the wind turbine, the noise and the flicker effect and all of that and this kind of... Uh, some people talk about a, a vibration feeling as well. So it does impact on people who have autism, people who have epilepsy, all of that. You mentioned so, the EPA there and planning just out of interest and it was something that we spoke about uh, I nearly over a year ago with people from the Ballydesmond area regarding those in Sleeve Lucra. Uh, on a, a situation whereby you're near a border within two counties, I suppose it's happening as well in, in East Cork with West Waterford. If someone is putting in planning appeals and lodging planning objections, a few found because if it's on a hill or a mountain and that's in Kerry you're objecting from Cork they found that tougher is that something that goes through the planning loopholes that if you're in border areas it can be easier to get and erect wind turbines because of the various planning laws maybe they favour the companies or is it the way the imagine, council do work I would imagine you're dead on the money there because look it's very easy then to pass the buck to somebody else and say well that's not my area it's you know because it's a few miles over the border it comes under some other remit so again it comes back to basic common sense of having a national strategy in place so that we can regulate the wind farms so that there's a proper look done at the planning and that the EPA has to be involved in it because really the EPA are an independent agency they're supposed to be there to ensure that you know the habitats directive and biodiversity is protected and that is not interfering particularly with people and communities and where are they in all of this? This is a question that I'm going investigating further myself because I've, I've come across this in so many areas that it's raising a question for me as to what is their role in all of this and how come the wind farms are getting these planning processes through uh, and then it's up to communities that are struggling to try mm. and dig deep into their pockets with fundraisers to try and object. 
and even if they do get their appeals or their objections through, lo and behold, another application gets processed and put in a couple of miles down the road. In fact, I had a person from McCroom over in the Petitions Committee in Europe two years ago, Kevin Corcoran, who fought for the Gera Woods there in McCroom because they were putting up wind turbines in, in Shigila, which would have again have affected the pearl mussels and it would have affected downstream a whole load of range of habitats. And he had to take it to the European Commission and, and to the Petitions Committee. So, you know, to have to go to that extreme to try and fight these developers who have huge pockets um, and ordinary people then who are trying to live in, in rural Ireland, uh, you know, are up against it. So it, there is there is an onus and a responsibility and a duty of care on government to put policy in place that is a national strategy that takes all of this into account because we can't just keep putting up wind, wind turbines ad hoc, scattergun approach, uh, and really communities are suffering horrendously with it. I cannot imagine anybody like that woman that I met living with that clicker effect going on 24-7 and the same now happening in Schlieve-Lochra and in the areas, indeed, of Cork and right across Ireland South. And you mentioned the offshore there. How offshore would these wind turbines be? I mean, the last thing you want to be is on a beach sitting down looking over in the far distance of these particular turbines. Do we know how far they can be erected offshore? Well, look, there's expertise knowledge there in that. I mean, nobody wants to spoil our scenery either in that regard. And of course, we have to look at the sea basin and what impact it would have on that. But like for me, I think it's very easy to look to other countries and see what best practice that they have done. And for instance, as I mentioned in Belgium, uh, you know, public investment is what they put into their offshore wind farms. And I'm sure that they're not up on top of beaches, that they're, you know, upsetting our beautiful natural scenery that we have in this country. There are ways that you have designated areas that perhaps are not beach related, that people wouldn't be swimming in. All of that could be taken into consideration. But certainly it's worth looking at um, and be very practical and common sense approach to this really is the way to go. But look, the political will needs to be there. And I think communities and so many of them at this stage are getting so fed up with it that politicians really need to start listening. Uh, And community consultation, as you said in the very beginning, is key to this because people feel there's a small ad hidden somewhere, somewhere. And the next thing they know, you know, these turbines are being erected without proper consultation. Yeah, and the last thing you want then is them too near or indeed in coastal areas where they are looking out in the distance at them because that goes back to the same problem you have for people living in high ground uh, in various areas we mentioned there. Just a few comments in first of all on this issue. A texter here saying wind turbines and forestry are the worst neighbours one could have to live nearby. Uh, they bully their way into the area and then the government are throwing money at them and neighbouring farmers are forced out. Uh, the laws are out there for themselves. It's bringing a lot of undesirables as well uh, into rural Ireland and destroying them by erecting all these various uh, turbines and forestry areas. And from North Cork would like to know how cost effective are turbines and how efficient are the turbines at reducing carbon footprint? Are they effective? Well, I suppose they are really, but at the same time she has a point about the carbon footprint because if you look at and take into consideration what it takes to erect them, you're talking about lorries. I know in my own area here where there's a fine plethora of wind turbines going up uh, and there's a huge amount of work having to be done on the road in order to create uh, enough space for lorries to pass through so they can erect them. So if you take all the carbon footprint into account, I'm not sure. And the other thing, of course, is they have a shelf life. So, you know, there's, I think it's something, I'm not sure of what the actual amount is, but they do have a shelf life. And who takes them down afterwards? Are they going to be there forevermore? Because, you know, these are steel and concrete like. So, you would have to you'd have to weigh all of that up. Now there are experts there, and I'm not one of them, but that would be able to 
inform us all of that and that again needs to be fed into the national strategy for it. My main concern is the health of the communities and uh, keeping in line, making sure that our biodiversity and habitats are protected as well because as I was saying to you earlier on in that caller that you had, you know, hen harriers, we're being told, oh, they need to be protected and there's all kinds of grants which were supposed to be given to farmers if they left their... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. alone for the hen harriers. That's another skill because, of course, many of them didn't receive that money. Uh, and then it's okay to put a wind turbine up right next door to it. So it's completely contradictory. Yeah, to what they're actually what they're saying and what they're actually doing. Uh, a lot of texts in regarding these in various areas. Just to go through a few, the Lee Valley, this person says, started with only 14 turbines. Now there's 177 and plans for 30 more. Do you know, by the way, where in the Lee Valley these extra turbines are going to be? Well, I know that some of them are going in my own area here in Balivorna. There's a good lot of them. And I me- remember meeting with the Lee Valley group last year where they were, they were talking about the plans. These were communities. And if you were to look at the map, it just looked like the whole Lee Valley was going to be surrounded by wind turbines. Now, there has to be a knock-on effect on that in terms of silt, in terms of, you know, what it's doing to the ground and how it's affecting rivers. It just has a kind of a domino effect. And again, it comes down to basically the attitude of let's just put them up willy-nilly without any real thought gone into it without any strategy without any spatial planning Because if you travel that. to McCroom and the Lee Valley from let's say Dunamore and Stewart and those areas you can see wind farms around you in various locations do you think it's the same one and then you look over you realise you might be looking towards the Banagree area so it's actually right. a different wind farm yeah. so you, you reckon that particular skyline there will have a lot more in time to come There's no doubt about it and like I was saying even here in Ballivorna just on the county bounds mm. Uh, and up by Kilgarvin, you know, all all along down there by Coolay, there's going to be wind turbines all along there. So we're basically surrounded by them, the Lee Valley, um, and it's completely unacceptable. And look, like I would be calling and I will be having a public meeting in the very near future to try and bring communities together so that at least if we have an action plan that we can say, look, 
inform politicians that we, we can't accept this and that they need to change, they need to put policy in place because really it's only united. You have different communities, whether it's in Valley Desmond or whether it's in, some, you know, in, in Kerry or Limerick, even for that matter, um, that if we come together, at least as communities we can then make our voice a bit louder rather than communities working in isolation, trying to come up with thousands of euros to make appeals. Okay, Dan is saying that wind farm developers are giving little public consultation as possible because then they can bribe local landowners with offers too good to be true. They split the local split the locality and succeed in their plans then. The old age of divide and conquer is alive and well, he says in various areas right now. People must wake up, says Dan, uh, while a lot of people are questioning the carbon footprint and another person here in Ballydesmond says that our local Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael politicians were very brave men and women if they call to our doors looking for votes they are all running with the hare and the hounds regarding the wind farms in Ballydesmond they are just unbelievable the scale of planning there while Dee is asking and I don't know if you know if this is true or not Leah but Dee is asking is it plans is it true that there are plans to abolish the River Blackwater's protected status this will lead to wind turbines galore scandalous if our politicians vote this in have you heard anything about that? Well no that's something that's new to me and I'd certainly be very uh, worried if that that were the case. I know that some rivers have to shut down because, you know, to allow for to be renewed because our rivers are in crisis. Um, there's so much pollution going into them. And that's, again, another story that I'm constantly wrangling with the EPA because I find it extraordinary that plans are afoot for things when there's special conservations and all of that in place. So I will look into that for sure, but I haven't heard anything to be quite honest about it, but I will look into it and it's certainly something that we would be heavily objecting against. Okay, there's a lot, a lot of comments coming out. I could be here for another half an hour with so many people who are angry at the fact of the lack of public consultation. That's the big thing that is coming in. Apart from the divide conquer, as Dan says, the big thing is the lack of public consultation and can that be changed in the near future? Well, it should be. And again, it comes down to the national strategy and policy put in place. But I've gone to a lot of these meetings where, you know, eventually, and it's not just wind farms, it's a whole range of things where public consultation has been called into question. And eventually the you know, developers or the companies come in front of the public and they answer some of the questions. But it's not really satisfactory. And I think the caller there that made the point about, you know, paying off some of the landowners, I do know of cases where, you know, they have been very much coerced into handing over for maybe €3,000 their acre of ground, you know, so that they can have this wind turbine on it in perpetuity, if you like, and that ground is no longer useful to them for anything else. So it is completely divisive from that point of view. But even with public consultation, public consultation is all very well and good and absolutely necessary. But if it's not taken on board what the communities are saying and how you implement the wishes of the community, um, well, then what's the point? Do you know there's no point in having lip service or having a public consultation if they're not being heard? And then, as we can see here, you're going to get people angry and then everybody's against wind turbines because there is people texting in. One of them is Julie, who says, I can feel the anger of those living there, the wind turbines, but we do need to concentrate on this in Ireland, especially with the offshore. We could be a leading light for renewable energy, not only here, but across Europe, if we were able to erect those wind turbines offshore. Uh, Something we'll have to wait and see what happens with that plan over the next while. For the moment, Leah, thank you uh, for joining us on that issue. I I think it's something that will be spoken 
talking a lot more about over the next year when I see more planning applications going in for wind turbines and the concern in the various areas and I'm sure something we'll touch base with you over the year as well for the moment thanks for joining us this Thank morning Thank you very much uh, okay. Lee and you there uh, Ireland South MEP for Sinn Féin uh, Your view on that do you live in an area do you agree with what Leah has come across regarding people who are living under wind turbines near them the noise effect the flicker effect she's saying and do you feel yes we do need this type of renewable energy in Ireland uh, but there has to be more public consultation and we just can't erect these anywhere. We have to be mindful of what they're near and the communities they are near. And offshore, are you welcoming that? Offshore wind turbines? Is that something you would like to see or would that be uh, then have uh, would that have more negative effects maybe for our fishing industry? I'm not too sure. Your viewers are welcome on that. You can call Bernie now, 1850-333-103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Now, were you watching Dancing with the Stars last night on or Peter Stringer did very well, didn't he? And also, we have more from Cork next week. Yep. Mallow's own Demi Isaac who you'll know better as Laura from The Young Offenders she is going to be joining the, or Linda even from The Young Offenders she is going to be joining the cast of Dancing with the Stars next week because it's all the females will be dancing next week you saw all the males last night we'll be chatting to her as well and of course Eilisha Carroll can't forget her uh, she even though I know a dub but is living and has been living in Castletown Sin for a long long time as well of course she's better known as Winnie uh, from the sitcom Mrs Brown's Boys she's also featuring in next week's show anyhow we'll speak with Demi who's from Mallow next Court today on C103 text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 086 2103 103 now Demi Isaac is a Mallow native attending Davis College but might be better known to a lot of people as her character as Linda in The Young Offenders but this year you'll see a lot more of her on the screen because she is taking part in Dancing with the Stars it kicked off last night and RTE and it was the males dancing last night we saw Peter Stringer also doing very well for Cork uh, but Demi did make an appearance as well and she joins me in studio Demi a very good morning to you thank you so much for having me and thank you for taking time out in your uniform and everything <laughs> I know I here. literally just legged it out to school I was like oh, okay I need to be here but no uh, thank you so much for having me now. well it's a busy year for you because you were doing your leaving search yeah. and outside of all of that you have been busy filming for the Young Offenders yeah. and now Dancing That's with true. the Stars how did it all come about that you were going to end up on Dancing with the Stars so basically what happened is I was in the RT New Seasons launch in August this this last August actually and I was doing a little interview with myself and Jennifer Barry with Jennifer the new host for um, Dancing with the Stars yeah. so she was just having a little banter with myself and Jennifer and we are just going back and forth back and forth and I was grand and then three or four weeks later I get an email saying would you like to participate in Dancing with the Stars and at first you had to give them all your information about your age and all this and they're like how old are you and at the time I was 17 so they were like when are you 18 I was like I'm 18 the 2nd of November and they were like okay we'll come back to you soon I met up with the producers I just turned 18 and they were like you know you're perfect and they just loved my character and the way I talk and stuff so I was like that's perfect well you have a great personality I know you're only I've only met you now in the last (laughs) four minutes but I can tell straight away you have a great personality and that is one thing that shines out so I can see from a producer point of view why there was like someone like you on the particular show the big thing is though do you dance 
I do. I did. I no ways. I'm not gonna sound cocky. I dance, but I don't dance. Okay. I can do my own moves, but like yeah. I wouldn't be able to do like the waltz or the fox trot. I didn't even know what a fox trot was, <laughs> or the cha cha, the salsa, or anything like that. Like I can boogie down if I was out with the girls wherever, but like I could not actually do a professional dance. I could not. So I presume now with everything, you've all been appointed at this stage with your dancers. You're yeah. gonna have a lot, a lot of practicing because they do have eight weeks whereby, for example, the fox trot, they will concentrate on that for one particular yeah. week. So a lot will go into that and you will speak from the gang that were on it last year uh, when they were on with us they spent maybe a Monday or Tuesday and their day was full on just practicing. Oh yeah it is. Um, Like for example Kai my dancer we kind of focused on just technique but this week now leading up to the actual performance it's just going to be performance based so like how to smile what camera to look at like how to give it like 100% like character and I'm looking forward to that because I am an actor so I think I have like a bit more of a high a chance in that sense than I would with technique because I'm not really good with my feet I'm not good with like putting my feet at 10 to 2 don't know what that mm. is but apparently I'm not good at it <laughs> but character is all I'm that's what I'm about like and when you met Kyle was obviously your first time meeting him yeah. was before the, how long before the show went live did you meet Kyle and when did you know that he was going to be with you for the full journey at first I knew I had Kyle because I wanted Kyle so I was like the God God is just going to give me Kyle because that's who I want I want Kyle I and want Kyle I want Kyle I wanted Kyle because he had Anagiri last year and I saw what he did and I yeah. was like do you know what Anagiri she made it to the final she didn't win but she made it to the final and their dances were unreal and I love Anagiri but then I kind of want I kind of met up with everyone then I was like do I really want Kai or do I want Curtis I was like I don't really care who I have I was like do I want Curtis do I want Kai I was like oh and then some Thursday I kind of I think it was about four or five weeks no it was a few weeks back anyway they t- they ring me and they're like you got Kai and I was like oh my god my dreams have actually just just happened like I got Kai that's all that's who I wanted and I was super happy that I got him and you get on very well I presume oh yeah like yeah. he's we, it's a laugh like I don't like just strict work I like mm. having fun with someone and he's fun and he's really caring he's so down to earth and I couldn't have asked for anyone else that's good because you need that when you're learning something exactly. like a dance move and if you get the dance move wrong especially if you're out of your comfort zone you need something like that and relaxed because if it's tense you'll just keep making mistakes yeah, exactly. more relaxed you can can learn uh, so you have the practice which means a lot of journeys up and down from Mallow to Dublin for you is it? No, so at the at the start of it before Christmas I mm. was going up and down I'd be up in Dublin for about two days to one night, two days, and then I'll be back down again home and back to school and then up and down. But at the moment, I'm kind of just permanently up in Dublin until the show's, until I get kicked off. Oh, but today, okay? I'm down because I actually have to get schoolwork because they're doing their pre's in a few weeks. I need to get the work beforehand. So that's why I'm down. So are you today. doing, because your pre's are only about two months away, is there less? Then, actually, in Davis College, it's on in two weeks. In but two I'm not weeks? doing it because I won't be here. So are you, how are you going to fit that? How is that so they're going to just give me a different paper to everyone else after the show. So they're just going to slap me in somewhere. So you'll, just, you'll I, I'm going to end yeah. up doing it it's just not now thank God because the show runs until St. Patrick's weekend I think is it? Yeah, so then you'll have like time that. after that yeah to, I should to have time praise. yeah okay and instead of me asking me the question or asking you the question about how you're going to fit everything in Jim was on WhatsApp a while ago and he's asking yourself if doing the Leaving Cert and practising and dancing in the competition will put a lot of pressure on you personally but also on judging and by your attitude on your interviews you already seem to be as cool as a breeze he says <laughs> he reckons hopefully the people of Mallow and Cork 
will get behind her and Peter so. Stringer will also hopefully bring a bit of glitter uh, back to Cork uh, maybe Demi can be the first lady to do so uh, with that leaving search practising and everything else how do you feel the judges will look at you and indeed how do you feel I, this will be for I yourself I hope they kind of just see that I'm putting 100% like I'm giving them 110 more I, I, want, I want to say more than anyone else because I am balancing so much like it's hard kind of going home after rehearsals and studying and then doing essays and typing them off and sending them to teachers and then mm. the following morning going back into rehearsals and then giving 100% for that and then going back and forth like I hope they can just be be more lenient I don't want to be rude or anything but like I am putting a lot of work into things and I hope they kind of see that like what I'm doing on the stage is what my heart is telling me to do like that is 110% that's all I can do so I hope they just they, I hope they're nice to me I hope they don't criticise me too much Well you're the youngest uh, ever I, I think I am the baba I'm the yeah. baba of the group yeah. Dancing with the Stars they're the youngest ever contestant so there'll have to be some way fair you'd hope anyway for oh, you I don't know I think Larry <laughs> might be just like pull up her socks come on Yeah. You, we, you is she, do you feel she's the strictest out of them all? I think she's I, when I first met her she's a beautiful woman she's lovely and she's very talented but I felt really intimidated because I didn't really speak to her everyone else was kind of going up and I was like do I speak do I not speak what do I say like yeah. what do I do but no Julian and Brian and every, they are everyone's lovely and that's all I could ask for because I think Brian is very straight out he doesn't really just say what he really thinks which is good which yeah it doesn't hold back yeah I know Julian is the nice cop and yeah. he, he gives the, the good advice exactly. and the bad advice but it's very good positive good cop bad cop but no I, I I rather them say it the way it is like what they think is wrong I rather than just mm. say look what you did was wrong but you can improve by doing this or you need to improve in this and kind of move kind of push me forward in that kind of sense so yeah now, of course, the main reason you ended up on Dance with the Stars when you said the launch there, the launch was for the Young Offenders yeah. and, and the Christmas special. Uh, just tell us how you got into acting and how you landed a role in the Young Offenders. Because okay. how big that um, has got now. I did pantomimes in my secondary school from like six class onwards. I've been doing pantomimes in school shows. If I wasn't on the stage, I was backstage. So I've always been involved with acting some shape or form. So when I got the role of the Young Offenders I was delighted I was shocked more than anything because I was like why me but I think they chose me for a good reason and I'm grateful for that reason but getting the role and going about the role I actually didn't watch the movie before I auditioned so I did not know what I was putting myself into I just literally applied online on the deadline the 1st of June just applied online just like that and then I get a phone call a month later completely forgetting that what I did I get a phone call a month later from um, Mike Foote Peter Foote's brother the casting director and he's like we want you to come in for an audition so I thought an audition was like yeah you basically got the rule I was super excited I dressed up in my gear and I was perfect I went in and sit down and watched the movie so I didn't know what I was doing I learned the lines whatever and I did that and then I, he was like right we want you to meet the director and the two boys and I was like what two boys I was like I was so confused I was like my mom was like I think it's about time now you watch the movie so I watched the movie and I remember just thinking like oh my god what am I actually getting myself into <laughs> so then I was like alright do you know what I've got this I'm just going to be Demi and that's all that matters so mm. I remember just going in and meeting Peter Fush and Alex Murphy and Chris Wally and just meeting them and then that was fine and then Peter walked me out to the car to my mom and I was like why is the director walking me out to meet my mom but I was like that's a bit weird I was like I'm not going to judge I don't know what I'm doing I'm not going to judge him and then the following day he was like we're going to get you a taxi up to Cork to meet the whole cast just for an audition so I was like okay but that night he had actually rang my mom and told her that I got the part but she wasn't there telling me oh, so right. then I went up to Cork anyway in the taxi and I thought I was just doing an audition so I remember going up and everyone was there Jennifer Barry um, Dominic Shane Hillary everyone was there and they recorded it and they were like Demi you're after getting the role of Linda in the show and I remember just crying just crying my heart and so because I was like 
I can't believe this is happening to me. Of all people, why me? Like, so, yeah. yeah, it was so surreal. And were you shocked at that time when you got the taken back? Cause I was so, because I, I honestly, I was being so naive and I was being like kept in the dark and I was uh-huh. like, I'm just doing an audition. That's all it is. So I was like, I'm not going to think any more of it. But when everyone was there, I was like, I'm getting really confused. And he was like, no, you got the role. And I remember just going, shut up. And he was like, yeah, you did. And I was just crying. I remember dropping to the floor, just bawling my eyes out. And your relationship on screen then, oh, it's Alex who plays Connor. You've yeah. Connor and Jock. Everybody knows the story, I'm sure, at this stage. Uh, the two lads, um, Connor's the tall guy and Alex is the shorter guy. And you... No, wait. Oh, Connor, 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 sorry, Connor Alex the plays guy. Connor sorry. and... Chris so plays Chris Jock. plays Jock. So Jock is a tall guy and uh, Connor's Connor the, short the shorter yeah. guy. And Connor's played by Alex. Alex, yeah. And yourself and Connor... Well, he had feelings for you and you had feelings for him and nothing happened for a while because, of course, your dad in the actual Young Offenders is the principal yeah. of the school and he obviously wasn't in favour. You get together anyway, eventually, and there's various funny scenes filmed in various parts of the city. I mean, what is it like to film the scenes with the lads? Because you're doing it in very public areas. People are coming in along watching you while you're filming. They're very funny. So, like... There's times where I, especially my character, she used to be really serious. Mm. And you're trying your hardest to be serious, but what they're saying is just like, why? Like, why say that? And you just want to burst out laughing. Yeah. So the minute the director goes, cut, that's when everyone just starts bursting out with giggles. Yeah. But no, it was, it's, I've never been on a set before, so it was, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. So being out in the public and kind of having people watch us while we're filming, I just thought it was normal. And I still think it's kind of normal to this day because that's I was good. like, I'm based out in public. Of course, people are going to want to watch us while we're filming because I would do the same if I was watching yeah. a crowd fill up in my seat. I want to see what's going on too. So I didn't really take any notice. It was just That's like good, performing yeah. in front of a live audience, really. Some people do get turned off by that. If they're not used to yeah. performing with people coming and looking yeah. at them, it can. Some actors we've spoke to over the years do get turned off. And the big thing, I suppose, then is the accent because we know Cork, <laughs> as you will know, has various accents. North Cork different than West Cork, East yeah. Cork different than North Cork and the city totally different from North and South. So so do you have to change your accent a bit more to suit the area of the city where The Young Offenders is filmed? I'm going to be completely honest. I don't know where it's actually based. I don't know what part of the city. I know it's based <laughs> in North, but I'm like, what exactly is a North Cork accent? They're like, the one you have is fine. And I was like, yeah. okay. But then Jennifer's one is very strong. So I was like, I had to emphasize mine a bit more. Yeah. But like my accent, a lot of people think my accent is fake. It's not really. Like I speak like this at home. I kind of obviously have a little twang when I'm speaking to my brothers and stuff, but this is my actual accent so I just kind of emphasise it a lot more like I, I talk like this a bit more you know I kind yeah, of you do, I you put, put that, that on. on a bit yeah. more but like <laughs> I speak like this normally though this is my this actual accent this is my actual but accent but you do put a bit of a change on oh, the yeah, like, yeah. there's certain just what words. he did there now yeah. was, like was for it? example no like if I was down the city I'd talk like this because you know by, you know, you go to the shop and all this you know you go to pennies you know, you know emphasise a bit more on that like <laughs> but like then a lot of people then they kind of change it up a bit and they kind of settle it down and they go back to very posh and do you know it just depends on where you're from and the way you grew up and who you speak to you kind of just pick and choose what parts of the the city you want to pick up the accent from but I just stuck to what I have and it's worked for you it worked for me exactly. and you fit in very well with all the lads and everybody there uh, on the Young Offenders uh, and it's it's funny when you interview people I know we've um, over the years had various cast members in and obviously they're very different speaking yeah. than they are on the show and then when people see them on TV more so speaking in their normal accent they yeah. get a bit of a land because they're going oh they don't speak like yeah. that so it must be hard though to keep the accent up or is it when you're doing various scenes without letting it slip um, I mean there was one stage where we took a break especially for the Christmas special we kind of took a break from filming so I actually took a watch my YouTube video for my audition 
transition to kind of remember like what kind of accent did I have so it kind of keeps in sync with the series so I remember just like being in the bus kind of like this my phone and mm. like they were all like what are you doing and I was like I'm just trying to remember what I sound like because my accent had just changed because I was kind of hanging around with people from Dublin and all these places so I have a habit of picking up accents really quickly so my accent had just been like completely messed up so I had to go back and kind of like study it again and dissect it and kind of pick and change they say that's a sign you're very musical if you can pick up accents fast oh I wouldn't say I'm the most <laughs> musical person going but thanks very much though well hopefully you are now for the next few <laughs> oh, weeks oh jeez yeah I should be yeah <laughs> ladies and gentlemen be. I am very musical yeah <laughs> good on my be feet best <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, Demi, with Dancing with the Stars. Thank have a you great so much. time. I have a feeling you'll do really well. Hopefully, now, as oh, Jim said on, on WhatsApp, all of Mallow and all of Cork will get behind you. I and there'll be, so. I, I, I presume next week they will have on the screen my your number and stuff, stuff yeah. yeah. So we'll have all that next week and how to vote for you. A lot of people are coming in wishing uh, you the very best on text and WhatsApp. So best of luck, Demi. Thank you so uh, much. We hopefully you'll go very far. I know you will. You have a great yeah. personality, so <laughs> you'll be known you. for your view. We'll see you anyhow, regardless on the Young Offenders for your exactly. next bit of drama. When is your next filming for that? Or do you know? I don't know, but I hope it's after my leaving search because I don't yeah. want to clash with everyone. But I, I don't know what happens. Whatever happens, happens, and that's. What I'm here to do is just go with the flow. So yeah. Well, busy time. Best busy of luck time. with the study. Thank best of luck you. with the praise and oh, best of luck Jesus. with the dancing. We'll hook up with you across the, the show anyway and we'll see on Perfect. the phone yeah. how things are going with thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you, Demi Isaac there. 1850-333-103. Our lines are open on the way. Uh, more of your calls and comments. Also that horrific story coming in from the West Cork Animal Care Society on the cruelty situation to a dog in the West Cork area. More of that story on the way. And questions and answers. Annalisa is here. If you have a health question for Annalisa, get it into us now. 1850-333-103. Thanks again, by the way, to Demi who joined us there just before news at midday. It was all kind of last minute because obviously with school and with just coming back from Dublin last night, weren't sure if she'd make it in or not, but she did. So well done and thanks to Demi for coming in to us just before news at midday and best of luck and great to see someone from Mallow in Dancing with the Stars so best of luck to her for that particular campaign of that particular show and there's more from Cork as well Peter Stringer we wish him well he performed very well last night and Aisha Carroll who I know is a dub uh, but, and you know her as Winnie from Mrs. Brown's Boys but she uh, has a home in Castletown Sin near Skipperine so uh, best of luck to her as well in Dancing with the Stars now a lot of various uh, comments in on various issues first of all I want to go back to the issue of rubbish that we discussed earlier in the show and John in Mallow making a point and agreeing with some of our callers earlier on about bringing in high fines uh, John feels the government should bring in much higher fines for dumping rubbish he says a lot of rubbish is coming from fast food wrappers if people claim they cannot pay the fine it should be taken from their social welfare payments or from wages or whatever way it can if they can afford fast food then they should be able to pay the particular fines feels John in Mallow and staying on that an email in from Margot who says listening to the show about litter I drove from Glonthorn to Fermoy yesterday and coming off the motorway halfway the litter everywhere was horrendous fertiliser bags burst bags I have never seen anything like it I think the problem starts in the schools yes Believe it or not, they have a child on litter duty at playtime, which means the children are allowed to drop their litter in the playground and somebody else picks it up. What message is this giving to children? That somebody else picks up your rubbish. They should not be allowed to drop it in the first place. I would suggest from now on, give a child a secret camera, snap the children dropping the litter and penalise them heavily. Dropping litter in the playground leads on to throwing the coke can out the window and so forth. So 
Well, let's look at other countries. Japan, for example, where they don't have cleaners because the children there clean up their own class and every other place as well. It teaches them a skill, gets rid of their excess energy and saves money into the bargain. And something I wasn't aware of, Margot says, does anybody remember this? I think it was in the 50s, she says, when the government was trying to call foxes and you got a 10 shilling note for the fox's tail and your brother got another 10 shilling for the fox's tongue. The same fox. Let's try the same thing with regards to rubbish. Pay us to bring it to the centre instead of charging us by weight to dispose of it. Money talks, but how long is it going to take to change the attitude of the Department of the Environment? Says Margot on email to jp at c103.ie. A very good point there made by Margot on the issue of rubbish. I wasn't aware though that in some schools they have a situation where they call it a child on litter duty at playtime. Never heard of that. Uh, maybe if your uh, son or daughter is in a school and you have heard of that, let us know. I've never actually heard of that going on. And that then if somebody drops litter, there is a litter lying around that they pick it up. Uh, but Margaret does make a good point that if, if somebody is dropping litter, well then, you know, if somebody else is picking it up for them. Uh, that does lead uh, later on in life to them throwing the coal can out the window. Uh, so I did, never knew that that was going on in schools. I know you'd have people going around cleaning and stuff in the evening and, uh, you know, encouraging children to clean. And you would say, uh, like, five minutes at the end, maybe clean off your your various area of the classroom. Uh, but I didn't aware there was a child on duty at playtime to clean up the litter after other kids. Anyhow, uh, your uh, views welcome. If you, that goes on in, in a school where maybe your son or daughter go, let us know. 1850 33103 and just two requests that we've got this morning want to wish a happy birthday to Michael Murray who's in Copen Mallow that comes in from all his friends in Mallow Barbarians Rugby Club and could you wish my wife Alana uh, she or Alina maybe uh, wish her a very happy Christmas today and it's the 7th of January why because she's from Russia and in Eastern Europe today is Christmas Day uh, Orthodox Christmas there in various parts of Eastern Europe that comes in from Mike in McCroom so hello to you Mike and happy Christmas to your wife and also a message in from Mark Ira O'Keefe, who is from the Cullen and District Special Needs Annual Sponsored Weigh-In, and they begin again tonight at 8pm. So if you want to go along there to Cullen tonight, 8 o'clock, they restart for this year. I'm wishing everybody a happy new year. All are welcome there, by the way, to Cullen tonight. Our lines are open, 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. On the way, going to discuss that awful case of animal cruelty, which uh, occurred and was brought to attention over the weekend in the West Cork area. The C103 Cork Diary. With the Wellbeing Network. Learn, give, be active, take notice and connect. See the wellbeingnetwork.ie. Little Steps, a group for families bereaved by suicide will meet for the first Monday of every month at the new U Clinic in Bantry. The first meeting of the new year will be held tonight and that's on from 6.30 to 8.30. Join for a cuppa, a chat and a friendly listening ear. And Age Action will hold computer courses for over 55s and understanding laptops, tablets or phones. This is a one-to-one tuition course once a week for two hours. Now taking names for January to June of this year. Uh, tutors are also required. Call Julie at 021-206-7399 and Shambalimoro Community Bingo that returns tomorrow night in the local community centre in Shambalimoro from 8pm for an 8.30 start and St Luke's Charity is holding a seven weeks course to help adapt and empower those diagnosed with the early stages of dementia. 
Now that is starting and it's starting from this Monday from 2 to 4 p.m. in the Northridge House Education Centre in Mahan. It's a free course, but if you want to attend, you need to register. You can do that by phoning 021 Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, over the weekend, I came across graphic pictures on the West Cork Animal Welfare's Facebook page. And this basically is of a poor dog whose neck is badly wounded. It looks like uh, that it's uh, like a collar or something was attached to the neck and it's just, you can see the skin basically. The fur is gone. You can see the skin. It's just awful a really bad case of animal cruelty as I said the pictures were posted and they were I suppose to raise awareness as well by the West Cork Animal Welfare Group from there is Tori Joyce joins me good afternoon to you Tori good morning John Paul thank you very much for uh, highlighting this case and thanks for joining us it's it's just such a sad case just explain first of all how you came across the dog and just the horrendous condition you found the poor dog's neck in Yes, John Paul. Well, just Christmas time, we um, got a call from a lady. In fact, I was just talking to the rescue, and it was the lady's dog who was in undergrowth in the garden, in trees and shrubs, and she came across this comatose ball of a dog with horrific injury. And as she said, if it wasn't for her dog, she probably might not have ever found her. So the rescue was called for immediate assistance. The dog was immediately brought to the vet's. Um, obviously, they, the veterinary crew have been absolutely amazing. They had to give up their Christmas to treat poor Rebel, which is what we've called her. Um, Rebel's injury is, is quite, a, as you can see, it's quite a thick band wound, um, quite clean on both sides. And then it tapers down one of her ears and her ear was just about severed as well. So this dog was in horrific pain, in horrific condition. And the vets immediately got to work, thank goodness. And thank goodness she was found when she was jump hole because I think the outcome wouldn't be as optimistic as it is now. Yeah, and we know how, though, this happened to her. I mean, it looks like from the photos, which, are, as I say, are very horrific, and yes. even Facebook has blocked them. You can only look at them if you click on yes. Be Safe to Look At. Uh, they're so Absolutely. graphic. Uh, they, it looks like a collar or something was on the dog's neck, and the dog was trying to get away from the collar or just even walk around and maybe kept walking back and forth. That's what it looks like. Do we have any idea what caused basically the skin to come out and the fur to be gone uh, from that poor dog? Well, John Paul, we we actually, with the vets, they have actually ruled out a rope collar or wire injury because if it was wire, it would be jagged. They've also, um, it's far worse than any collar injury. We've seen them before um, and they can cause injuries, but this, we think, is something else. We really don't know how it was caused, I suppose. It's only a guessing game, but the vets have ruled out those options. So we, we just we just can't tell. Would it be that someone might have done that to the dog? We just we just don't know. Don't know. Um, we just don't know, and I suppose we will never know. Um, but obviously, the dog had been in this condition for some time because it was extremely badly infected. So whoever saw this, watched this, um, was responsible for this, even if it was an accident. Um, it, it, it's, it is a, it is a severe animal cruelty case, without a shadow of a doubt. And I presume no microchipping or no identification no. of who won the dog or anything, though. No. Absolutely, the first thing, well, one of the first things the, the, the vets did, yeah, nothing at all. Um, it is absolute mystery, but thank goodness she made her way to safety because she yeah. could have been in, in, in woods or somewhere in the middle of nowhere 
and never ever been found and we would never know um, and until the judicial system really starts um, handing out severe penalties to um, people who, who may be responsible for this or may or other cases I, I suppose that as you know yourself there's so many of these cases in rescue today um, I don't think it'll ever it'll ever stop but again we can't say how this happened it possibly could have been an accident um, we don't know we just don't know so sad to think that is still going on these days are you getting a lot of reports or how is overall animal welfare across Cork because every so often we do hear cases like this maybe not as extreme as this but we do come across cases and you oh, yes. think oh, why why is this happening still with all the information that is out there and everything like this that has been raised over the last few years it's still happening it's still happening John Paul John Paul this is a mindset that none of us can ever fathom I suppose we wish there was absolute, we could all close the doors of rescue and it, it would not be needed anymore. We are now going into our 20th year. West Cork Animal Welfare Group was founded in 1999 and quite honestly, I think it's worse in a lot of ways. Although, of course, we do have social media, people are more likely to go to vets, more likely to report. I'm sure the ISPCA must get hundreds, hundreds of reports every day. Of course, they don't have enough officers, mm. enough backup. And as I say, the, the TDs and the government really need to tighten things until there are stiff sentences or some sort of way to stop this. I think it will go on. But there are people who don't see animals as, as feeling beings. They don't. They really don't. And and that's why it continues to happen. They just see them as something that they can abuse and, and beat, which is just awful to think that can yeah. still go on in our country. Uh, Rebel herself, oh, do we know what breed dog Rebel is? Well, Rebel is a mixed breed. She's got a lot of a lot of different mixes in her. She's the gentlest, most beautiful little dog. There is absolutely no harm. She's had um, operations. She's also had had her wound dressed and and seen to every single day. She has never reacted once. She's, she's a real little fighter and a real little trooper. Uh, all the veterinary team who I, do, who I really want to thank here now because they gave up their Christmas and have worked on her. She's been in intensive care since they took her in Christmas. And it, it wasn't easy for them either, I can tell you, when they saw it. It wasn't. They were shocked. We were shocked. And even when I post those pictures, John Paul, I, I found it extremely distressing. It is, just to see them alone. I mean, if, if you are going to take a look at them, anybody who has access to Facebook, yes. uh, just be aware. It, that's a big warning anyhow, and even Facebook there give a warning. It is absolutely. very distressing to see the way the dog was left. Uh, and, and on that, Rebel, will she make a full recovery now? I mean, the vets have been she very good is, to her. Yes, she's doing so well now. She didn't really eat for the first week or week of that because that's what we were... Actually, we were extremely worried she wouldn't make it. So we didn't actually publish or do anything about this till we knew there was some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. Um, the the left hand side of the wound is healing nicely and um, the sutures will come out the stitches will come out next well probably this week but the other side is still not as not as good as it should be so there's a bit more healing on that um, she's got a wound on her muzzle too which of course is minor and compared to the neck the ear it looks like it's going to heal because um, she could have lost her ear as well or even not made it so she's she's barking well, she did her first bark the other day, rather than say barking, did her first bark. She's happy. She's a greeting for everybody and wagging her tail. And honestly, animals take such abuse from people and they really are silent 
and they cannot tell her their story. If only she could talk. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, if she could talk, she could identify who did this, what beast went along and did this to her and you'd get some information where to find them. It's good that she's wagging her tail and barking because that yes. is a sign that they're back to the road of recovery, isn't it? Yes, and she's eating like a horse as well. That's, she's eating <laughs> that's everything good. in front of her, which with a dog is a huge indication yeah. of the dog's health. Um, and um, we do hope to have updates and we do want to also thank everybody who has donated they've been absolutely incredible all their donations lovely messages good wishes I'm, we're, we're just getting floods of people who are so concerned about Rebel and uh, we do hope when we start up Skibbering Market again we'll probably bring her down so people can meet her and when she's fully recovered and we will find her a wonderful home Yeah that's the next thing I mean uh, yes. first of all her neck you say it's healing well at this stage how, how healed is it and how is the healing process going for her and how long do you think it will be before you can get to that stage of rehoming Rebel? Well it, the, as I say the left hand side of the wound is pretty good so they're going to take the stitches out of that this week the right hand side is going to be another while I think mm. Um, it's been dressed, cleaned, clipped, whatever, every day by the wonderful veterinary team. Um, so I suppose, I think the end of next week now, we're probably looking at a good, a good. Um, she should be good by, by then, I would say. Well, better, but it would still need, because it will be delicate and it will be very, so she will still need ongoing care, but um, we should be over the, the worst of it by then. Um, and then once everything is settled, she's healed. Um, she will be neutered before going to her new home and um, we'll obviously now this is a new chapter and we'll we'll soldier on like all other rescues have to we just have to keep going because what else do dogs like Rebel have? Exactly and for fundraising as you mentioned there if people do want to donate to yourselves uh, various ways to do that because I know since Rebel Story has become public people have been donating for her yes. and for others that you have in your care as do other yes. rescue centres right across Cork. Yes and we want to thank everyone again so much they've been so generous and so kind um, if you go to our website or Facebook page we have a donate button um, we also have a Facebook donate on her pictures um, and our email is info at westcorkanimals.com or people can text to donate as well. The details are all on our Facebook page. Okay, Tori, well, best of luck. Well done again on the work you Thank did there you. over Christmas and New Year's with Rebel. Um, hopefully she'll be a flying fish and with a family in the next few weeks and well, people maybe, will keep yes, up the, on, on the like updates do, as well. Yes, maybe you'd like to do an update down the road on her and... Um, we can we can send more pictures and um, I think this you know this looks like a happy ending thank goodness but it could have been all so different mm, that's the thing it could have been a very yes. very different story yes. we could have been dealing with here today uh, certainly we'll come back and we'll uh, have a chat with you later on in a few weeks to have an update yes, on Rebel and see how she is doing and just see the difference from what we are seeing at the moment uh, to in a few weeks time so for the moment Tori thank you for that and thanks for joining us and well done again on, on rescuing and looking after Rebel Thank you very much. Happy New Year. And happy New Year to you. Tori Joyce there from the West Cork Animal Welfare Centre. It's just awful and, and it's hard to talk and describe as best we can when it's radio. Uh, but the pictures, they really speak for themselves and they're very, very graphic. But I think Tori uh, did the best there in describing the situation that they found that particular dog in just a really, really bad situation and indeed a bad sense that someone would do this to a dog and lead the dog like that in an area uh, it's just awful that this would continue to happen animal cruelty still unfortunately happening here right under our nose in our own county uh, your li- our lines are open 1850 text or whatsapp 086 Annalisa joins us shortly any health questions for Annalisa get them into us on those numbers you can email also jp at c103.ie
It's our hot take on me at C103. Hi to Mary on text. Uh, just came in a bit late when I was speaking to Tori uh, from the West Cork Animal Rescue Centre about do they still have a pet cow? We'll check it up and we'll uh, bring you that later in the, uh, well, not today, but tomorrow at this stage, Mary. But thank you for your text to 0862103103. Also on text, uh, someone here is saying, I'd like to know what people in Canturk say to the Canturk lights in the town. I think they make the town very dark. Uh, these lights are bad. Uh, uh, has there been a change in lighting in Canturk, as in the public lighting? And uh, somebody here not happy uh, with the lighting situation in the town of Canturk. Do you live in Canturk? Do you realise that the lighting is poor or that it should be better? Let us know. 86 We're checking out a few texts in about um, various hospitals and if they are closed to visitors so we're checking that with the HSC we'll bring you that information once we get that but speaking of health if you have any question for Annalisa she joins us next any nutritional question for her any health question you want advice on something get it into us now she'll join us in the next few minutes call Bernie 1850 333 103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 086-2103-103 we'll speak with Annalisa next Court today on C103 text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 086-2103-103. And Annalisa Drizel joins us from the Health Hub in Ballincollig. A very good afternoon to you, Annalisa. Afternoon, John Paul. Now, questions and answers today. So if you have any questions for Annalisa, get them into us now. 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. I can tell you, Annalisa, the bulk of the questions coming in are to do with people who have chest infections or indeed who have a flu or chest-like condition. And I myself was in with you last week and that particular medicine you gave me Dr. Dealish Clare worked wonders so I can speak for sand that it does work now I forgot my cough bottle you gave me today and I'm paying for that because every time I talk I'm trying not to cough but that's my own fault I forgot it but I won't forget that tomorrow that's for sure Uh, but just going back to that because so many calls have come in this morning from people who had this kind of itchy cough sensation and people who have chest infections and have a kind of flu-like symptoms all in one uh, the best advice for them Okay so I suppose, really, from a natural perspective, there isn't a massive amount of difference between, you know, a chesty cough and a dry cough, only in the symptoms. But really what you're really trying to do is you're trying to get the body to fight the, the cold virus. There's no point taking an antibiotic unless you actually get a chest infection because a cough and a cold, that's all a viral thing. So what you want to do is use herbs that will support the immune system and get your white blood cells doing fighting the good fight and get all the troops out and um, to conquer and get, get that virus chucked out of your cells and your body. So the chest and sinus blend that I gave you from Dr. Delish Clare is a combination of herbs that will do that. Those herbs mainly, most people would be familiar anyway with echinacea. That's a great one. It ramps up the white blood cells and it's your white blood cells are your first line of defence. Um, they're kind of non-specific, but they're patrolling all the time. So the echinacea gets them to come out in loads of numbers and they can sort of deal with anything that's coming in that you're meeting on a daily basis. So that's why a lot of people actually take it as preventative because it keeps their immune system primed, I suppose, um, through the cough and cold season. So if you do, um, if if you tend to get coughs and colds, now would be a good time just to start even taking echinacea as a preventative. So other herbs that would be good for supporting the immune system are things like astragalus, um, lemon balm is very good as well Jamaican dogwood is excellent and then in that Delish Clare blend she has other stuff for uh, mucus to dry up the mucus so if you have a chesty or mucusy cough or if your nose is very runny 
besides the immune system fighting the good fight, you want something that will just dry up that mucus and clear up your nose. So you're looking for herbs that are very astringent, like ivy and thyme. Plantago is another wonderful one that you'll find. Um, and they'll all be in the Dr. Dealish Clare blends. But if you can't get your hands on a Dr. Dealish Clare in your local health shop, Plantago is a brilliant one to clear the nose and chest. And it's spelled P-L-A-N-T-A-G-O. And I would mix that with Ivy and Thyme Complex, which, again, you'll be able to find in every health shop in Ireland because it's a very common one. And then the dry cough. I mean, again, with the dry cough, it's about managing your symptoms. And the bottle that I gave you, John Paul, for your cough, that tickly kind of a, 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 a soother, mm-hmm. was had mullion in it. So either mullion or marshmallow are two herbs that help to soothe and coat the mucous membranes. And they keep them... I suppose, nice and healthy. Um, and once they kind of dry out, that's when you get that tickle. And once you get into a coughing fit, then that just becomes further and further irritated. So the mullion and the marshmallow protect those mucous membranes and, and make them healthy, producing a plenty of a nice kind of mucus coat to keep your throat nice and moist. So a cough bottle with those in it. Um, the Comvita range of cough bottles are very good. They have a variety of different ones. Um, the, they all have in their propolis, which is great because that's a brilliant one for the immune system. But if you're allergic to bees, be a little bit wary of those for that reason. Some people can experience an allergic reaction to the propolis. They all have a bit of manuka honey in there as well. And a lot of them will have different things like marshmallow in some of them, mullion in other ones. So just ask in your health shop and they'll help you decide on the best one for you. Very good, good advice there for those who are feeling that way uh, today. Also, uh, very early on this morning, got this text in from a person in Moy and she wants to know your advice on omega-3 fish oil capsules. She can get them in a discount store uh, for cheap enough but, uh, compared to her supermarket. In her supermarket, the price is tripled, but in a discount store, uh, they're around a euro or so. Are they as effective as the ones in the supermarket, she wants to know? No, unfortunately. And when it comes to fish oils, very much you get what you pay for. So to kind of be able to decide on what is a good fish oil, there's a couple of things that you need to um, you need to be confident about. The first is where is the fish oil coming from? So is it coming from um, a sustainable source? I suppose from an environmental perspective, we want to know that we're not over, you know contributing to overfishing. Is it coming from fish that are wild? Because a lot of the farmed fish will be fed with cheap feed and a lot, they'll build up a lot of toxins. A lot of antibiotics will be used on them and chemicals to keep them healthy because they'll be rearing them in large numbers and there'll be a lot of disease. So all of that will come through in an oil. So ideally what you're looking for is wild Atlantic oil or krill oil as well as another way of bypassing kind of, you know, the toxins. One of the other problems with oily fish is that they tend to store the toxins in the oil. The main toxins from pollution that will be going into our seas, the biggest one, I suppose, is mercury. You've got other ones like cadmium as well. But mercury is a big one that we would be worrying about, so much so that the health advice for pregnant women would be that you don't eat fish, um, overeat fish, oily fish um, when you're pregnant because the mercury could be damaging to the fetus. So the general rule of thumb for uh, for us is no more than three times a week to eat the oily fish. And the reason is not for uh, fat or calories. It's actually to do with the mercury poisoning, mercury that we've unfortunately polluted our seas with. So a good fish oil will have been processed, John Paul, to remove that mercury. So there'll be no heavy metals in there. And then the last thing that you need to look for is 
the concentration of EPA and DHA. So these are the individual omega-3 fish oils broken down. And EPA is very good as a natural anti-inflammatory. So that's what you're kind of looking for to bring down inflammation for your joints, for your skin, for protecting your brain health, for nervous degeneration. That's going to do that job. And then the other one is DHA. That's very, very good for um, to, to take a high DHA when you're pregnant because the DHA is important for fetal development. Again, it's very good for the brain. It's good for the fatty kind of tissue in the brain, so it'll help prevent against Alzheimer's or dementia in the long term. It can keep your uh, the EPA will keep your blood nice and thin, and that's the one that's good for the uh, bringing up the good cholesterol as well. So they do different jobs, and you want about a gram of those. So a very cheap one definitely won't have a gram of EPA and DHA. Might have a gram of fat, but only maybe 5 to 10% of that fat will actually be EPA or DHA. Okay, hopefully that helps that particular texture. And for Moya, Oliver is in Mallow. He wants to know, can you recommend anything to reduce iron in the blood? He thinks he may have hemochromatosis and is looking for an alternative treatment. Okay, so hemochromatosis is a genetic thing in John Paul, so it'll run in families. And what happens is that you absorb and take too much iron in from your diet. Unfortunately, there's nothing really that you can take hugely to get rid of the iron. The best way of doing it is to donate blood um, and give blood. So someone will get the benefit of the blood and you will reduce the amount of iron in your circulating in your blood. The other advice would be to avoid very uh, foods that are very rich in iron. So red meat ideally is a no-no if you've got hemochromatosis and you probably shouldn't eat too many green leafy vegetables either. The only thing I feel about the green leafy vegetables is that the iron is often balanced in there with magnesium. So um, it tends to be you don't absorb as much from green leafy vegetables, which a lot of vegetarians will notice. So I think they're still quite healthy to have in the diet in smaller amounts. But I think definitely um, red meat should be something that is avoided. Other things that would be rich in iron as well would be things like molasses, uh, your um, treacle, things like that. Uh, avoid those because they're not necessary anyway in the diet. Okay, and uh, Sheila's in Will Street. She wants to know what would you recommend for a leg ulcer? Now, she's had this for over three weeks. The doctor put her on iodine dressing, uh, but it's no better. Yeah, so sometimes it can be very difficult for those ulcers to heal. It's a common one, John Paul, here in the shop that people have got slow wound healing. Um, I think the first thing that I would recommend is to take a vitamin C and zinc supplement. So zinc is very important for healing. It's also important for the immune system, so it'll help the body fight against infection. And then vitamin C, very important for skin and collagen. There's another um, herb as well that's brilliant for knitting uh, together skin and bone called comfrey, or the old name for it used to be knit bone. And you can, it's harder to get that now unless you go to a herbalist as an internal supplement, but you could get it as an oil that you could rub onto the area um, and encourage healing. So that probably would be the best advice. Another reason that you might have very slow wound healing as well would be if you're a diabetic and that's because the circulation is very poor to the area. So things that can improve your circulation would be um, eating plenty garlic. Hawthorn is another great one that you can get in a supplement. Horseradish is another one that you can include actually in your diet and the omega-3 fats will all be very good for aiding circulation and wound healing in the, you know, if it's a, a diabetic or circulation problem 
Okay, and uh, and an issue here that this person has, it's nighttime stomach rumbling. Only if this person is on their back or their left side. Uh, Just wondering, what could this be? What are the causes? And it isn't hunger. Well, a lot of people would say that their stomach rumbles. Um, I don't think it causes any harm, you know, unless you've got acid reflux. And and that could, could be something to go and get checked for because... You also can have silent reflux where you don't have any symptoms, but the acid is still coming up through your esophagus and is still causing damage. It's just not causing any problems in terms of symptoms. So that, I mean, it's a very hard one to say, John Paul, because if it's just, you know, if your stomach kind of gurgles throughout the day and you don't notice it, unfortunately, that's your stomach and you're probably really stuck with it. It's not necessarily doing any harm. Um, But if it's, if it's coming along with any sort of acid symptoms like a burning stomach or a bad taste in your mouth in the morning or a sore throat in the morning, Slippery M can be very, very good for helping with that. Mightn't do much for the gurgling, but it will certainly help with the symptoms. Um, other than that, I'm not sure really what to recommend. I don't know, maybe some of your listeners have got the same problem and have, have tried something that could help. They might ring in with a solution there. Okay, yeah, somebody else in that particular situation might help our listener there. And another person here is 29 years old, very fit and active, doesn't smoke or drink and takes all the right supplements. However, in the past few weeks have been lethargic and mood hormones haven't been great. I have been on Implanin for the past eight years and I'm wondering, have you heard anything about Implanin and maybe anything like what I'm feeling, uh, Annalisa? Thank you, says a texter. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of people do react to the the um, the contraceptive hormones, whether it comes as I think the implant on, if I'm right, is the 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 one that goes into the arm. Um, but a lot of people take over the counter contraceptive pills in pill form, um, and some people have the marina coil. That's another one. I would say that if you've had no problems for eight years, it you know then it's probably less likely to be that. People will know very quickly if they're going to have a problem with the contraceptive pill. It definitely interferes with mood. Some pills will, you know, contribute to weight gain. um, And some people will know immediately that that it really affects their mood. They can feel very low. Uh, If it's not the pill, other reasons that you'd feel low at this time of the year could be um, vitamin D deficiency. It could be just pure exhaustion. I always think at this time of the year, it's a good time for a tonic because this is the time of year you've you know, your stores of vitamin D are gone from the summer. It's an awful long stretch now to the summer coming up again. Christmas is over. There's not much to look forward to. So I, I would often hear people feeling kind of down at this time. And I always recommend a tonic like something like the Source of Life Gold because it's got everything in there to boost your immune system. It'll give your body a good detox and there's a bit of ginseng in there to give you a lift. Um, and if that doesn't do it, then maybe it is the contraception um medication that's causing the problem and the only way to know that really is to to take it out or to stop taking the pill for other listeners and uh, give it six months to settle down vitamin b6 can be wonderful for hormonal based low mood um you want to be taking a minimum of 25 grams 50 grams probably would be a better dose to take and you'll be able to get just b6 on its own in any health store and for anyone who suffers for PMT, it's always the first one I recommend, John Paul, because it's like a little miracle worker for mood. OK, very finally, just about under a minute left. Uh, this is for a person who, could you recommend a supplement I could take for tiredness and energy? I have an overactive thyroid and I am also in the early stages of pregnancy, but I am not on medication for the thyroid. 
Okay, so overactive thyroid, you should avoid ginseng, which a lot of people would take for uh, an energy boost. When you're pregnant, you have to be very careful of what you take. I think just a general um, prenatal complex that has got good vitamin B in there. Uh, there'll be a good range of other nutrients as well that will help. It's very normal to feel tired in the first trimester of your pregnancy, John Paul. Your blood supply increases by about a third, so your body's doing a lot of work to pump that around. Um, things often settle down later. Um, and then towards the end of pregnancy, of course, again, when you're big, you can feel exhausted. So it's perfectly normal. Get lots of sleep. Take a B vitamin. And um, that's probably the best. You have to be very careful with herbs when you're pregnant. I would not recommend taking anything else. Okay, Annalise, I appreciate that. A lot more questions in. I won't get to them, but we'll hold them over for the next time. And we'll chat to you next Monday. Annalise Giselle there. Thank you very much, Annalise. From the Health Hub, which is located just across the way from the cinema in Barrancolic. That's it from us today. A lot of calls. I mentioned a while ago about the public lighting in Canturk. A lot of calls from all areas of Cork on about public lighting. Not very happy with that. We'll get back to those tomorrow on the show. Also, we'll continue and deal with the Eyeball Literary League survey. Good news for Fermoy. We'll go through the other areas of Cork maybe not so much good news for we'll get to that tomorrow on the show and also the Betelgeuse disaster off Woody Island 40 years ago that will happen. would have happened tomorrow and we will be remembering what happened on that day 40 years ago and the sad news that came from Bantry Bay that and more tomorrow from 10am on Cork Today thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced I'm John Paul McNamara Even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.